The planet is restless, Captain. They want their podcast. And they shall have it. I'll beam down to the surface. You have the bridge. Captain, that is illogical. These are Trek fans. They will challenge and dissect your knowledge with great emotion. It is a mission fraught with danger, peril, and grave risk. Suggestions. Send in the red shirts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the red shirts. I want to thank you for beaming aboard the USS Internet. And today, people, we have a special, special guest. But before we get into that, I want to introduce the the, the primary members of my crew. We're going to start off with the one, the only, Craig J. How are you, sir? Doing great. Doing great. Good to be here. All right. And then... We have our own resident. He's kind of like Captain Kirk because I've always seen him messing around with some woman in engineering. Big sexy. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what? Your name is Big Sexy, dude. What We expect this of you. Well, this is very true and it is very accurate as well, but still. <laughs> How are you, sir? Oh, man. I'm, I'm slowly getting it back to full sexy. I'm all right. This cold was wearing me out a little bit, but I'm all right. All right, man. That ginkgo biloba. Try some of that. Or, you know, we'll, we'll get you some Ractagino. That'll knock that right out. You know, and... I've tried Ractagino. It doesn't work for me. Really? Quark must have, he must have been <laughs> watering it down for you. But, uh, <laughs> people, like I said, special guest star we have today. This guy, you can hear him on Afro Nerd Radio. Uh, go to blogtalkradio.com. Look up Afro Nerd. I love this guy. I started listening to Afro Nerd years ago, and I heard this guy's voice. He has such a unique voice. He's like the Michael Jackson of the group. You know he's going to break out one of these days, <laughs> as much as I love those yeah. other guys. Yeah. Uh, this guy is a walking encyclopedia of all things geek, pop, music, hip-hop. I don't know where he finds the time in the day. But ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce Daryl B. Mr. Mr. Daryl, how are you today? Doing fine, coming straight from 10 forward. Guinan's already freaking loaded me up. Red shirts, Trekkies, we're going to have a trip today. Wait, wait, now, did Guinan give you some of that Romulan ale that she has behind the bar? I don't know. It was either that or the Klingon scotch or whatever it is, you know, so, so I, I'll hang for as long as I can hang. As long as she didn't do you like she did a Wharf and gave him some prune juice, talking about it's a warrior's drink. Oh, oh God. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, Daryl, just, just um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's see. Um, uh, I'm the stereotypical nerd. I, um... I I I I I love all things geek. Uh, I'm also sports nut. Um, you you'll catch me on Twitter talking about. I, I warn people on my on my Daryl Benjamin page. I would that every every topic comes across my page. I'm interested in a bit of everything because I tell people on the show geeks are everywhere. Hey, you, you could be a sports geek, a politics geek, a fashion geek. We're, we're everywhere, and that sort of thing um, interests me. So whenever we get into discussions like this, I'm all up for the debate. And as 
people who listen to Afro Nerd Radio know, I can get a little out there <laughs> with, with my thing. So, yeah. so I promise to try to tone it down for this because we're going to be dealing with a very serious subject today. No, no, no! Don't tone it down. This is just consider this like Kirk versus the Gorn, dude. Don't tone anything down. No, 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 no! This is the you listen. When I get going, that's where you play the Star Trek fight music. <laughs> okay, okay. So we all know why we are gathered here today. We're gonna talk about a movie that I feel is somewhat maligned in the Prime Trek universe. We're gonna talk about. Star Trek Nemesis. But before we do that, we in the geek universe, huh, man, <clears throat> we just got some really bad news that hit hard. Um, I'm not going to speak for everybody here. I think I do. But um, one of our beloved geek icons passed away at a mere 61 years of age. That would be Bill Paxton. And uh, I was out to my, my wife and family. We were out at breakfast this morning i was sitting there waiting for the food and had my cell phone on the table and it popped up on my news feed bill paxton dead at 61 and my wife's like mike what's wrong what's, what's going on i'm like you gotta be kidding me um i this this guy his acting skills dope just i mean i first knew of him in weird science and i haven't seen that movie in so long but this is how good he was. I remember his face as he was mocking his younger brother, one of the leads of the, of the movie. I can remember the expression that he made. He was standing in the hallway in some scene, and he was chewing something and just mocking his brother. And I remember his face so clearly. And I remember thinking, this guy is an asshole. But damn, he's good at what he's doing. And the next time I saw him, I believe, was Aliens. And at yep. that point, that dude had me. He had me at Aliens. He had me at. He had me at Hello. He had me at It's Over, Man. It's Over. Uh, just so many credits. Twister, Titanic, uh, One False Move. Uh, he was in Big Love on HBO. He just started shooting Training Day. Now I, I haven't seen it. I don't even know if it's um, if it's on air yet, but. Man, just so, he's one of those losses that you just don't expect to have happen, so it just knocks you off your feet. He's not necessarily the biggest star, but he's he's that guy who is reliable. Uh, you uh, true lies. I mean, no matter he killed any role he had his his handprint on. And I'm gonna stop talking. I'm gonna turn it over to to you guys. Just just if you have something to say, just please just feel free. Well, like you said, you know, uh, my timeline with Mr. Pax is just like yours. You know, I'm watching Weird Science way back in the day, and, you know, out comes Chet. And to this day, I, was, I still call him Chet. Yep. You know, because he left that impact, you know. And, you know, you go from Chet, then you go up into uh, Weird, uh, Aliens. He stole the movie there, too. And he did other things, and then he pops up in True Lies... And his character alone was was great. I mean, Tom Arnold was supposed to be the comedy relief. Yeah, it didn't work. Chet was hilarious in True Lies, and then he could then he showed that he could do other things. Because when I first read about Big Love, I expected a comedy. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have Chet. I'm gonna, this is gonna be great. It was not a comedy. 
you know, he played a completely straight role. It was uh, good to see him stretch his chops a little bit. You know, he's, he was a great actor. I, I really enjoyed his work, and he will be missed. Oh, and let me just say real quick before someone else takes the mic. How could I forget one of the – if you haven't seen this film by Sam Raimi, as soon as this podcast is over, stop what you're doing and go get this movie A Simple Plan. I promise mm. you, you will not be disappointed. A brilliant movie. Also stars Billy Bob Thornton. Excellent movie. I mean, this guy, this is where I saw this guy's range, because as as Big Sexy just said, we saw him mostly in comedies or playing comedic actors. I, I personally didn't like True Lies that much. His scenes are what kept me in that game of that movie, okay? Yes. Go, but yes. then you turn around and you see him do simple a simple plan. Unbelievable. Uh, Daryl, you were going to say something. Oh, I was going to say, hey, uh, Predator 2. He has he has the most iconic deaths in Predator 2. And to this day, whenever I see Predator 2 and the train scene where he, he for uh, Miss Alonzo, takes, uh, essentially uh, gives up his life to save her, not knowing the Predator wasn't going to kill her anyway. But he just went in knowing, oh, man, I'm screwed, but what the hell? I'm going to go in. He, there isn't a sci-fi franchise that Bill Paxton hasn't been a part of in some way. Hell, he's a Trekkie, too. Mm. You know, so, so, and, and he's, he's that, he was an actor's actor. Yes. In other words, it didn't matter how small or big the role was, he brought an air of professionalism and fun to whatever he did and the best the best reaction I saw to this was just somebody just with, with froze a simple plan the scene I think it was the barn just froze his face on there and just two words can't be Rest mm. in peace, Mr. Paxton. Craig, are you familiar with uh, you're familiar with Bill Paxton's work, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's too many movies to mention that I've I enjoyed him in, and uh, I'm going to be missing him a lot. Yeah, definitely a great actor, and um, too young, too young to die. Died of surgical complications. I don't know what that means. I don't know why he was having surgery, but that doesn't seem. You know, there's just some some people. I'm gonna go down my list real quick. Michael Landon, Christopher Reeve. Um, uh, I'm 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 drawing a blank now. But Dana Reeve, um, Prince, people who the universe got it wrong. And for a guy of this talent to, I mean, we're all gonna die. But for a guy of this talent to be lost from surgery, the universe got this wrong. I don't know if you're. Well, if anyone here is religious, but uh, whatever it is in the sky, got it wrong this time. AQ, what's scary to me is th this sounded the w same way Dwayne McDuffie died. Ah. Oh. We we thought it was just a simple surgery, and then we found and and, and eerily, it was around this time too that he passed. Uh, what five years ago, six years ago, and it was like. It's a simple surgery, that, uh, and I have all of these plans. And he was talking. You talked to Katrina. Katrina Law and Bill Paxton did a Twitter interview just three or four days ago. Cheery, upbeat about, oh, 
training day is going to be fun. Da, 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 da. Wow. And Bill goes, yeah, I got this to do. I got, and then now he's gone. And wow. it, it just, it just means you, you, you gotta, you gotta treat every day special because you don't know what happens the next. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better. We, if this isn't a, a wake up call, we have to live our lives for the day. Live, live, live. Don't, don't put things off. And I don't want to get philosophical. I'm going to start rambling, but ah, uh, the future is not promised to us. I mean, in, in the world, the way the world's going right now, the future is not promised to us. So, uh, man. Uh, Bill Paxson, rest in peace. He will be sorely missed. Okay. All right. So um, let's let's chart a course for the main topic now. Star Trek Nemesis. And we did a show. Go in the archives and check out. Um, we did a show called TNG Big Screen Big Problems. And we kind of touched on um, Nemesis a bit. But I just want to set this up a little bit uh, once again. So <laughs> the movie... Uh, was made on a budget of $60 million, which is relatively a small budget for a sci-fi film, I believe. And this was, we're talking like, it was produced in uh, around 99 or uh, 99, 2000. It was released in 2002, and it made $7 million. It pulled in $67 million. So it was the least grossed, the least highest grossing film of all of the Star Trek films. Now, I don't know if that's international or if that's just domestic. I sense that it's domestic. But uh, I have some information here from Den of Geek. I'll put the link in the show notes. And they speculate that the reason it, it, it pulled in so little money is that, for whatever reason, it went up against three blockbuster films. It went up against Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets. It went up against Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. And it also went up against uh, Pierce Brosnan's last stint as James Bond, Die Another Day. Yeah, but that'll do it. That'll do it. <clears throat> that'll do it. Because I think at that point, Trek was starting to peter out. And Insurrection did not do it a lot of favors in getting people back into the theaters. But there was also a lot of scuttlebutt that Stuart Baird, who is a longtime editor... But he also, he directed one of my favorite films, Executive Decision, which I highly recommend. But it's one of those cases where they hired a guy who had no knowledge of the product. Again, shout out to Josh Trank. I'm going to read a quote here from Den of Geek. It says, Stuart Baird had no knowledge of Star Trek before becoming director of Nemesis. He even refused to watch any of the Next Generation TV series to prepare... And reportedly went so far as to say he hated the franchise and had to be forced to watch the preceding films, allegedly. So it's no wonder so many fans feel the characters act strangely. Now, here's where he needs to get slapped, really. <laughs> it's reported that the director, Stuart Baird, kept calling LeVar Burton Laverne throughout the course of the shooting and thought Commander LaForge was an alien. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, just a few other tidbits. Um, there were there were uh, fit, fifty minutes of footage cut out on this film, and now if you have the if you're one of the few diehard Trekkies such as myself who bought the uh, Blu-ray, you will see some of that footage, which it's really not good that it was not left in that film. Uh, you will see some of that footage cut out, and another little tidbit is that. 
Stuart Baird had no idea who Wesley Crusher was. And it took LeVar Burton to call Rick Berman and tell him that they need to invite Will Wheaton back since this is the swan song for the TNG cast. So because of LeVar Burton, you do see Wesley Crusher in the wedding scene for a brief minute. But there is a, a scene where he, Wesley, discusses with Picard and Beverly that he is now back in Starfleet because you see him in uniform. And that he's been assigned to the USS Titan, Will Riker's new ship, his new command. Ah, oh, that's bullshit. Okay, okay, let's stop. The, now, why is that bullshit? I know you don't like Will, uh, Wesley Crusher at all. Let's, but, let's look at Wesley Crusher, Crusher's record here. Let's see. In the Academy, he did some bullshit. Got suspended for a year. Then he comes out of the Academy, and he quits. Okay, he quits. Runs off with the little time traveler guy. And now he comes back and he's back in Starfleet. Get out of here, man! No, you don't get no. you don't get repeated chances well, at the Apple. You don't. Well, well, Mark, look at it as synergy. All right, it's synergy. Remember, he now that Riker has become Picard on the Titan, Will Wheaton is the new Riker. Because remember, no. he started. <laughs> you know, when TNG started, Riker was the wild card. Well, in the, what, what, if they ever continue Titan, I believe they did one novel about the, the Titan continuing on. He became essentially what Riker was. So Riker, Rike, in Riker's mind, he's doing for Wesley what John Luke did for him. Well, now not to, I can't. well, not to, not to, not to uh, debunk what you just said, Daryl, but. If I'm not mistaken, in the, in the article, the, Wesley does um, give his crew position on the ship, and it's it's a kind of a lowly position. He's like work. He's a lieutenant, and he works in the. I think he works in engineering or something like that. So they make it clear that um, he's working his way back up the ranks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 uh, I'm just saying, uh, th this is his chance. Here's a dude with great intelligence. Great power, you know, and and a wild card. And Riker goes like, "I'll give him the shot, no problem." And, and you know, hey, in that respect, I, I I can I can see that work that dynamic working. The problem is this stupid director didn't know Star Trek. Right. That's something you yeah. Would, that would that would have been a great scene in the film. To put an underlying humanity to this thing, because the rest of it felt detached. Right, and just to just to get the record straight, um, it says West reveals he's gained an assignment on the night duty shift in engineering aboard the USS Titan. So it's not like he's just being thrown in and oh, you're you you you're you're back at the con. He's he's got to work his way up. So I, I mean, I, I I'm with it. I'm, Craig, do you have any thoughts on on this? I'm disappointed to hear the director. Uh, they chose another director that didn't know anything about Star Trek. True. As we all know, that was the problem with Star Trek, the motion picture. Yep. So oh, that, ex yeah. that explains a lot to me. I did not know that. And so I watched, I rewatched it again yesterday, and I was, I can understand now why I was quite disappointed. Well, also, um, and I don't have the notes in front of me, but uh, we spoke about this in the previous show that I mentioned. I believe it was. Um, LeVar Burton and uh, Marina Sirtis 
one of those two, I think it was Sirtis, who who basically called uh, Stuart Baird an idiot. <laughs> hey, hey, I have Marina on, on Twitter, and let me tell you, if she don't like you, she does not hold her tongue. So I could 100% believe it was Marina that goes, why is he here? This dude's an idiot. I could see it totally happening. Well, all right, so... So that kind of sets the tone for this film already. So I just want to break this down. You know, most films are appear in three acts. And I want to just go through the first two acts and just get your guys' impression. Because I have some definite opinions on this. So in the first act, in the first scene, we see the Romulan Senate. They're vaporized, basically. And that's a pretty chilling scene. I believe, and any one of you can correct me if I'm wrong, that's the first time we see the Romulan Senate, the Romulan government. And that's a pretty brutal scene, I have to say. Um, but moving forward from that, <clears throat> then we start to get into the comfortable shoes that we know, and it becomes clear that this is now a swan song. We see kind of bows starting to get wrapped up. We see Troy <clears throat> and Riker at the wedding. Picard is officiating the wedding. They're all in their dress whites, I'm going to say, for Starfleet. And then after that, so then you get you get a lot of uh, uh, like a reunion type of thing, right? So then after that, the crew, out of nowhere, they go to a planet. I don't remember the name of the planet. Because they pick up some emissions that are uh, positronic. And we all know that positronic emissions, as of now, come from one source. Well, really, most Trekkies know that they come from two sources, but this film would have us believe it only comes from one source. That's from Data. They don't mention lore for whatever reason. But they go to this planet and they see pieces of an android that looks exactly like Data scattered about. Then they're attacked in some gratuitous action scene <clears throat> where, where Picard wants to get his rocks off by driving the Argo, this little space dune buggy, which makes no sense because we're in... The future, at least in the Kelvin universe, the policemen, they have hover bikes. But here, we still have combustion engines. Okay, fine. But what makes it worse is that they choose to drive a, a vehicle for no apparent reason. That just so happens as the enemies drive the same ones. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, in some, for whatever reason, Picard wants to show how big his is, and he decides to it's best to jump off a cliff and hopefully we will we will we'll make it into the shuttlecraft okay so that's cool we also get introduced to shinzon who appears to have taken over the entire planet the entire planet of romulus with just a handful of remans and we learn that when shinzon and picard meet there's obviously some backstory between the two of them and somehow Shinzon has managed to construct this awesome warship called the Scimitar on Remus under the nose of the Romulans and with no resources whatsoever. So Yeah, now we're, we're stretching believability here a bit, but <laughs> let's go, keep on going with this. All right, so then, Act 2. There's a huge plot twist, which to this day, I don't know why it was necessary to be inserted. But we find out that Shinzon is a clone of Captain Picard. And we learn of this through throwaway dialogue with Shinzon in a meeting with Picard says, a Romulan decided to clone you and then they were going to insert you into Starfleet from so that we could spy on you from within. 
Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay, sounds like a great plan. Really? <laughs> okay, and then the second plot twist is that we learn that, well, this isn't a plot twist, but we learn that Picard had Shallot's disease, I believe it was called, that affected his hearing so that he was very sensitive to loud noises or whatnot. I'm not sure why that was necessary to bring that up. Makes for a great trivia in, it, in the Star Trek encyclopedia. It better be in the new encyclopedia that I just bought for $150. Then we find out that Shinzon is dying because they needed to have him grow from a child into an adult really quickly. So the time temporal displacement is affecting his genes and he's dying and Picard is the only one that can save him. And I've never, yeah. I've never understood why, why do you give us an enemy who's dying? Because all you got to do is wait it out and he's dead. So where's the, where's the conflict? It robs the conflict of any weight. Now, I'm not going to go any further. Gentlemen, any one of you can take the con. Give me your assessment of this film up to this point. All right, all right. With what, with what you said before, it now makes sense to me. Because I, I'll tell you, I sat in the theater and I was like, okay, that didn't happen in Next Generation. That didn't happen in Next Generation. We're going to totally skip over this in Next Generation. What the hell? How could we forget lore? Because lore ain't totally dead. Right. Uh, you know, I, I sat there for the first, we would say it was the first hour 10 minutes that the all all you recap happened and i must have sat the first 50 minutes 50 out of that first 110 going what the hell is going on here this i mean some of the concepts are cool but really really so so i guess the romulans have like fortune tellers that knew that Picard would become great one day, so we're gonna just insert a faulty clone in his place <laughs> now, and then twenty years down the line, we have somebody at the top of Starfleet. Really, that would be the greatest deep cover Manchurian candidate <laughs> thing ever, and our president is Trump. But our president is Trump, you know. So. You know, like like I said, the Dena Geek article helps me helps like like uh uh twelve year old me, thirteen year old me put this all in perspective. Now let's put it that way. Now, Craig, I want to come to you for a second. Does it make any sense that the now let me back up for a second. After um, Worf, Picard, and Data escape the planet with the android remains. I, it's revealed in a quick shot that the the enemy that was chasing them down in the gratuitous uh, machismo action scene, um, <laughs> that they were Remans. So I guess we're supposed to understand that the Remans placed the android remains on that planet in order to draw the Enterprise to the planet so that then they could collect the android and in a times arrow ripoff, by the way, collect the android, put them together, and then the android would be a spy. Now, now, can you, does that sound logical to you? Is it not a little bit 
convoluted along the lines with what Daryl just pointed on? Yeah, it's very convoluted. And uh, later on in the in the film, I, I got the sense that that whole thing was just a setup, and they didn't really want to capture them, but they made it look good, so that they got away and reassembled whatever that android is. Well, the, uh, just to be clear, the name of the android is B four. Very clever guy. It's very yeah. clever. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> but I wish they had actually delved into that storyline a bit and figured out who that android actually was. Yes, he was B four. He was before. <laughs> right. Very clever. But what, you know, what iteration was he? Where did where did they get him from, and so on? But was he constructed? Think, was he constructed by uh, Noonan and Singh? Uh, not, uh, I'm sorry, not Noonan. What is um? Soon, right? Was he was he created by Soon or not? Right. I mean, it's, it seems like he must have been. But then, how did the how did the Remans get a hold of him? They they never explained it, which is what I was saying. I wish they had explained that because Data said that he's his brother because they are obviously same android, but he's a an older, less capable version of Data. They they at least figured that out, but I wish they had explained that a little bit. That would have been really cool to figure that out. And just another but, point, of tri- real quick, there. Just another point of trivia. <clears throat> I remember clearly when this movie came out because I was excited to see it, due to how bad Insurrection was. I remember press material saying that the android's name was B Nine. That being <laughs> that being uh, a very clever pun on the word B Nine as 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 a nice or non malignant. So mm. I just wanted to point that out, Daryl. You were going to say something. Oh well, it, here's the thing too. When it comes, and then it, I, I, I'm I'm on the point that I, I said it there at the theater. So this Romulan craft came all the way in 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 in, in uh, Federation space just to get the ancient android. Somehow they knew about it. Fly back to their own space. To plan it on this, uh, I would I wouldn't say pre warp drive planet, and it's Colaris three. Okay, that that was the planet. To plant the remains there in hopes that the Enterprise one uh, one day flies close enough to the planet to catch these emissions to come check it out. This again, like I said, I, 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 <coughs> hey, hey Mark. It's like that little maze, and you're the the mouse, but there's no exit here. This this was just dumb. Well, it's it's like what your compatriot Afrinard said. It's a uh, it's a Rube Goldberg machine, where the golf yeah. ball has to hit this, and it rolls down here, and then it pops up that, and it starts the toaster or whatever. <clears throat> because if you remember now, his viceroy, whose name I don't remember, uh, Shinzon's viceroy, has telepathic powers. So isn't it, I mean, this is just economy of storytelling. Isn't it enough that the Enterprise is being sent to the neutral zone to, because that's what um, uh, Vice Admiral Janeway, she sends Picard and the Enterprise to the neutral zone to engage in talks with Shinzon. Well, economy of storytelling would say, well, if his Viceroy has telepathic powers, which he uses to mind rape, uh, forgive the term, Troy, why not just use those telepathic powers to control someone to give them the data that they need instead of this elaborate convoluted scheme to find an android planted on this planet that Picard will find? I mean, it doesn't, uh, it, 
it really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, <laughs> That's when it goes right into Insurrectionville. You know, where, where okay, this was the plan. Really? This, this All of this was the plan? We were going from A to Q to Z? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. There, there had to be less steps here. So what we're saying basically is that the only reason to have B4 in this story, three plot points. One, get him on the Enterprise so that someone, there's some element that's going to transmit data to Shinzon so he knows the Enterprise's uh, tactics or tactical operation. So that's the one reason that they put B4 in the, in the, in the screenplay. The second reason is so that when Picard is captured, as we should have seen coming, Data is going to impersonate B4 and get onto Shinjan's ship to save Picard, which he does. The third reason is to keep Brent Spiner working in case there are more films. Now, I have no problem with setting up for the, you know, for future films. As a matter of fact, the, the Den of Geek article, they go into a whole thing of where what was going to happen next if uh, Star Trek Eleven were to be made. But to me, there you gotta have better writing on a on a screenplay. And I, if I'm not mistaken, John Logan wrote this, and he is a diehard Trekkie. So I don't know who was in command of the ship over there, but the first two acts are just sloppy. Throw everything against the wall. We got to get from point A to point Z, and it doesn't matter if it makes any sense or not. I mean, does anyone else have anything else they want to say about this? I mean, am I am I wrong? Am I? Someone help me out here. No, Q, you are not wrong. Everything that has been talked about, you know, is accurate. And the thing is, a lot of the, the um, mechanisms used were all retreads. You know, like you said, they stole from Time's Arrow. You know, they stole from the data lore. And no, and anytime you have a director in any genre of film who has stones to come in and say, you know, I don't need the source material. I'm not going to read what happened. I'm going to do this my way. We have a problem. We have a problem. Hi, so Snack Snyder. Say that again. <laughs> well, say that again, Daryl. Hi, Snack Snyder. Right there with Superman. Yeah, I didn't read the source material. Let, let's go right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Mark but, hit it on the head. But but Daryl, see, Zack Snyder's Superman is is the Superman that we need for today. Oh, Don't you know God. that? You didn't get the memo. I didn't really. Get it. You, hey, hey, you want me to go all clear on this? <laughs> we, we, we'll avoid going all clear on this. Just so everyone knows, uh, he's referring to one of his co-hosts on um, the Grindhouse on Saturdays, by the way, at uh, six thirty. Claire Linnae, who was uh, on the West Coast, uh, she's one of the co-hosts, and she she goes in. Okay, she definitely goes in. Hello, Claire. Um, but yeah, um, it's just it's just really sad to your point when you bring people on that don't study the the source material. When you have a property as mythological and as storied, this thing has been around since 1966. There's no way in the world you approach you you have to approach this like you are doing a, a movie about George Washington or or Martin Luther King or I mean 
You, you know what I'm saying? This this is part of American pop culture. I mean, it's almost global pop culture now. So to give it short shrift like that, because let me ask you this question. I would say TNG, as far as I'm concerned, they earned their place right along the original series with Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Picard, Riker, and Data, although they didn't translate well to the screen as far as I'm, as, as well as far as I'm concerned, they earned their place and they deserve to get the same, what I want to say, iconography as reverence. reverence, that's the word, as Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Anyone disagree with me? Uh, no, I don't disagree. No, I'm agree. But, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, but the, the problem is, the problem is, you see, where the first, the first Star Trek, the original series, that was a straight up Western cowboy flick in space. What directors didn't get was a, the gener next generation that was treated as outcast becoming a family, and uh, like uh, the family bonds are there throughout. That crew stayed together through thick and thin. All right, mm -hmm. that's a, and b. They made some of the best warrior races in the universe into I'm sorry for saying it like that. These are the Romulans. We saw some of the stuff they were capable of on the show. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, you punked them. They punked the Klingons in the movie. They, like, I was like, these are some great warrior races that I want to see. You know, I want to see how badass they could be. And a bunch of clones take them out. Say what? What? The, what? The, so, don't fight back. Oh, you just destroyed our government. Okay, you rule. Don't so, so, fight back at all. So, Daryl, what you're saying is, all it takes is a little failure on radiation. You take out the Senate, and the whole planet is conquered. That didn't make sense to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not at hey, all. Hey, hey, if, if we're gonna call a spade a spade before we get into the third act. I was sitting down there like Romulus is one of those places. It's kill or be killed. And the thing that made them threatening is they had that along with the Vulcan intellect. So essentially, they were the uh, they were the version of the the dominators over at DC. You know, mm. smart aliens that were ruthless, and they get taken out and humbled in the first ten minutes of this. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Just really? Listen, uh, Daryl, Daryl, listen. I will say this. I'm going to make this proclamation right here. My favorite TNG episode, The Defector. You know the episode I'm talking about? The Defector. Oh, yes. James Sloyan, he plays Admiral Jirak. Some of the brilliant acting. And that episode showed you how clever, how diabolical, the Romulan government can be. And we've seen, I mean, you got you got your Klingons, you got your Cardassians, but the Romulans, they will go in on you. We saw it, every time you saw the Romulans, uh, 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 Big Sexy, what was the episode where um, they try to find that artifact where uh, 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 Picard and Riker go on the ship as uh, um, mercenaries and they find that oh, artifact? Yeah. Gambit. <clears throat> Gambit. The Romans aren't playing around. And I'm like, wait a minute. All it did, you got a handful of Remans, and it takes out the entire Senate. Well, what about, are there any wars? Do they all just lay down their arms? What the hell? And right away, too. That's the thing. I, it, they, 
they 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 declawed the Romulans here. That's one of the biggest crimes of this movie. And I will also say, one of the things that really got me interested to see this is when they first, I remember, I clearly remember reading some of the first press on this. They were introducing the planet of uh, Remus. And I was like, oh, dope. Okay. Because back in the original series, there was a Romulus and there was a Remus. And I'm like, okay, they're bringing that back. What are they going to do with that? I can't wait to see what Remus is going to look like. What do Remans look like? Do they look like Romulans or? And then they showed some of the um, they showed some press photos of the Viceroy. I'm like, yo, okay, they're gonna be going in. This is gonna be some. This is gonna be for real. These guys look. These guys look dope. And we, what do we see? We we don't see any. We see caves in flashback. <laughs> we see Shinzon as a little kid. After we learn about this ridiculous plot, we see him getting pushed around, and then we see uh, the Viceroy, uh, I want to take care of this kid. And I'm like, why do I care? Why am I investing in any of this? I mean, I mean, Craig, when you heard that Remus was going to play a part in Nemesis, I mean, how did that make you feel when you, when you saw that? Just like you, I, I was excited to see what they would do with it, and and as you said, they did nothing with it. They, they, there's a sandy planet with a bunch of people riding riding some buggies. <laughs> well, no, that <laughs> wasn't that it. wasn't Remus though. That wasn't Remus. All oh, right, that what, what is that planet? What was that planet called? Uh, what was it? Kiros. What was it, uh, Daryl? Colus, uh, Colus uh, three. Yeah. All right. So I guess it didn't make an impact on me. <laughs> <laughs> the one shining light in the first part of this movie is that we saw, and I knew it when I saw him, I was like, this guy is acting his ass off with some ridiculous dialogue and some ridiculous scenes. But we saw one of the first big screen appearances of Tom Hardy. And he he's short and skinny. He looks like a little kid, which didn't really convince me that he was a threatening uh, agent of Remus. But his acting chops, I saw it right then and there. I was like, whoa, okay, this guy, he's being given shit to say. But he is making it, he's doing his best to make it work. Those scenes between him and Picard, between him and uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, I have to say, they are engaging. It's a lot of exposition and a lot of flashback. Uh, but I felt like I was watching two seasoned actors go at each other did anyone else feel that way at least that way did you get that out of this at least being totally truthful i honestly didn't see tom hardy being big after this i was like okay he's gonna just be a sci-fi actor but then if you uh i don't know if you guys have seen taboo oh right i i've seen scenes in that where i'm like that is totally same like how he did Nemesis. You know, he's one of the things. He's the reason to go back and watch this film. I <laughs> would agree. I would agree. Yeah, just to see those seeds being laid of where he could be malicious, where he could be manipulative, where he can command the room. That, uh, 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 what was it? The first dinner scene with Picard. Right. He's sitting down there, they're eating, and he says something, and you could see Picard just freeze. And 
when Picard froze, the crowd froze too, watching it. Because you just felt the icy malice right there. And Tom Hardy just radiated that. Now, before I move on, I just want to say one of the central conceits of the film, one of the central gimmicks of the film is that Shinzon is a clone of Picard. Now, people, <laughs> I, let me just say this. Just because you're white and you shave your head, that does not mean you are going to sell me on the fact that you that you are a clone of Patrick Stewart, okay? I think that's a major drawback to the film to begin with. First of all, the introduction of that concept. Second of all, I don't care how convincing Tom Hardy is, at no point is it believable that... At no point are the producers going to get me to buy into that concept that Shinzon is Picard. I mean, anyone else want to comment on that? That was a major problem to overcome for this film, for me. Yeah, I felt the same way. They they didn't even try and make him look like Picard may have looked when he was younger. I think they tried to sell it with a old school picture of Picard he was looking at later on, which was obviously pure Tom Hardy. But <laughs> yeah, he they did not look enough alike. You know, so I, I did not like that at all. Well, Shinzon, there's a line where Shinzon says, uh, he says, you don't recognize the nose, the lips. Or, well, that that's what happens when you get beat up in the caves. I'm like, so you had, so, 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 so in the caves, you had reconstructive surgery? Or what? I don't know. <laughs> well, what are you going to say, Daryl? Well, they, they could have gone two different ways with it. If you remember the the, the um, what was it the the time travel and and episode the teenage actor that played him in uh, that or excuse me the young adult actor that could played him in that you could have said well you always look like this but my time in the caves changed me or you could have gone and found if you remember the the episode where they all got devolved into kids right. You could have gotten that guy, that that kid, because he actually had the British accent like Picard. You know, he... Well, he well wait, wait, Daryl, Daryl. It wasn't a British accent. How dare you? It's a French accent. All right. <laughs> my, my bad. Yeah. I, I forgot about the winery and the history, you know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. That kid... That, in that episode, that kid actually held himself like Picard. I don't know how how many how many hours he had to study how Picard's mannerisms and stuff are, but that kid nailed it. You know, you have little kid Guinan saying, "You have to relax. You have to have fun." Talking to um, uh, the betraying girl. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you you had that on that side, but here's Picard trying to talk to regular kids like he's actually still Picard, you know, <laughs> and the kid nailed it, the mannerisms and everything. That's the one thing Hardy didn't do here. He didn't have Picard mannerisms, you know. I, I could stretch believability that, oh, he's the younger Picard clone with Romulan genes and whatever, but to make him be Picard or to be the dark side of Picard, he had to have Picard mannerisms and he just didn't have it. Um, you were talking about the, the where we see, uh, I, I forget the name of that episode, but it's the one where we reveal, they reveal that Picard was stabbed in the heart by a Nausicaan, so he has a fake heart. 
Tapestry. Yes. Tapestry. I believe, now I could be wrong, any one of you Trekkies listening, please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that was the same actor who played in one of the best TNG episodes called Inner Light, where he played, uh, this actor played Picard's son. Uh, yes. Yes. But And, and yes. that actor is actually Patrick Stewart's son. And I believe he's done Shakespeare. So I would like to think that he was in the audition room. And if he was, that means Hardy must have blown them away because then you solve that problem. You get someone, if you if you get people like us saying he doesn't look anything like her, then the producers say, hey, that was Patrick Stewart's son. Get out of here. Right? Or yeah. even better, you don't introduce that that concept that he's a clone. It's not if you take that out of the film, what do you lose? Does the story not go forward? You could just have said, Oh, we had a program, we had human DNA, and we had a program to insert our own sleeper agents in and you know, or like say it like that, but don't say I'm the direct clone of you and your genes are gonna help me live. I'm like that is so freaking fetched. Yeah, but you could also <laughs> it's just a say big universe. You could just say I'm a Reman. I'm badass. I'm gonna take over the Federation. Simple. <laughs> I mean, look at what, who's the most who's the best villain of Star Trek, arguably. That'd be Khan. Well, okay, Borg. Or oh, Borg, even better. They have no. They they don't have these <clears throat> convoluted machinations about why they're doing this or oh, this is the dark side. They just look. We, we're gonna come in and wreck shit up. That's all you need. <laughs> but you know what? I, I think they were trying to create a situation where Picard sees that that's him, and he doesn't want to kill himself. Right? That's. I'm sure they were trying to add that element in there. I don't think it worked very well. No. They didn't really play it. But that. But I think that was probably the original that they did was so they could create that conflict within himself. But they didn't. But there's work. no conflict there yeah. because. Yeah, Picard would have wouldn't have had that type of uh, torn loyalty. He'd have done his ass in. I, 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 you know, Craig. No, Craig. You you're making a uh, you're mounting a good defense, and I agree. It's just they don't play that off in the film. And plus, no. Picard. Same with Kirk. Same with Janeway. They they will they will happily not happily but they will readily destroy that ship if it means protecting the Federation. So. You know, the fact that he was afraid to kill himself, while they may have tried to uh, uh, bring that forth in the film, which I think you have a good point, it still doesn't make sense because Picard is not, he will set, any of those Starship captains, they will set that self-destruct <laughs> if it means we got to save some people. I mean, the one scene that was pretty gripping was when they when they get ready to go into battle with uh, the Scimitar. Picard, in, when they're in the ready room, uh, not the ready room, the um, the conference room, he says, our first priority is th that ship must not make it to Earth. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? And they all look at him like, damn, okay. <laughs> in this moment, we are all red shirts. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I was happy about is that at least I made the uh, ship self-destruct sequence uh, much harder to guess this time right. right if you remember yes you know when they cr crashed the original enterprise was like one one a you know it's like uh really that's the self-destruct sequence and i How thought say they that out loud Spaceballs. <laughs> they looked at space balls and they got inspired <laughs> what, what what is your lock 
One, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, five, five. Your code is one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where they got that one from. Well, you know, Craig, when Picard's sitting in the captain's chair and he does, um, he sets the self-destruct. I thought of you. <laughs> when that's you did? I did. I was like, well, we won't have Craig complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, much more difficult to guess. Although they only did, they, they, he could do it with only himself, right? That was that was a bit of a slip, you know, when they did but it. That was three people. So yeah, you need. I mean, even in any of the the movies about in the twentieth and twenty first century, you need two people to launch the right. missiles. So <laughs> right. Okay, now. So having said all that, we're gonna move into Act Three. Dun, 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 <clears throat> Here we go. Anyway, right. okay, listen. The title of this episode is Stop the Hate. Why is it called Stop the Hate? Because despite everything we've said, despite everything I've said, I am tired of people shitting on this movie because there are some things about this movie in the third act that make me say, okay, you are forgiven. What am I talking about? There are things in the third act that make me say, this movie is far better than Insurrection. That's not saying much. Oh, well, damn, you just threw away, you just took away my dra drama, man. Damn, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. <laughs> I was about to beam in and, be, and save the day. <laughs> You're like, okay, he's here, so what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, wait, wait. Let him make his case. Cause, cause, like, like, like you brought up before, Mark, it they had a ways to go to get to the motion picture. All right. Oh, so, oh, yeah. so, Q, make your case. Okay. There's still some bullshit in the third act, like Picard uh, fighting Shinzon, and all of a sudden he just grabs this rod, cracks it off, and Shinzon impales himself. That was some bullshit. Okay. But the third act of this movie. All out action. Balls out action. I got to see two Romulan warbirds mixing it up with the Federation, with the Starship Enterprise. I got to see a Romulan captain on screen saying, Captain Picard, can we lend assistance? I was like, yo, okay, we about to mix it up. I got to see the main viewer get blown the f up. And I saw bodies going out into space. That made it real. I saw the Enterprise. Picard, Picard was on his Kirk. He was like, f this. You are not getting to my planet. Uh, Jordy, uh, impulse engines, please. Uh, Captain, that's a command. That's an order. He smashes the Enterprise into the scimitar. I'm like, yo! Oh. I'm sorry. That was dumb. Listen, Ensign. So, you know, Picard starts with an impulse engine. So instead of Shinzon saying, uh, full reverse, he's like, oh, starboard. Big mistake. Dumb. You know, come on. 
the guy was reverse. You could have you could have got back. <laughs> you could have reversed quickly and got out of there, but no. But but uh, especially since the Enterprise did not do any damage to the Shinzon engines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, hey. Wait a minute. I love a good game of chicken. Being ex-military, I've won quite a few games of chicken. I also know there's a way to turn back. Or hey, here's the ideal thing: turn left. But these. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. But how long have you guys been watching Star Trek? You know these ships can't move like that uh, on a whim. So Shinzan is sitting over there. Oh, I'm dying! I'm dying! I'm. I'm and before he realizes it, Picard is on his ass. That, that was a weak scene, in my opinion, because Shinzon could have just gone backwards. See my point there? He could have gone backwards, but he would... I'm saying, he was caught off guard. It's like, if, 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 if a car is behind you and you see him coming up on you, your reaction time, are you going to pull forward so that he doesn't hit you? You're not going to have that much reaction time. Mm. Look, we, we can move past it. I, I just don't buy it. It was, <clears throat> was, it, was a, it was cool to watch, don't get me wrong. But... Um, for somebody not to say let's go let's go backwards as opposed to oh let's just go starboard <laughs> you know okay listen or all power the forward shields let's try to belay the damage a little bit you know right. that's where the director's inexperience to, from the star trek hurts the, possibly the best out of space fight scene the series has had okay so wait so you do say it was the best out of space fight fight scene that you've seen yeah, the only thing that that matches it is Beyond the the latest one that the la the fight scene put to Beastie Boys. Oh uh, man, Daryl! Wait, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. This is why I say that is because they didn't spend on any of these films. They have not had a fluid looking fight scene, right? Nemesis actually had that. It was fluid looking. It was. It looked like an actual aerial dogfight. Usually, that's that. That stuff is saved for the other side of the pond, with with Star Wars, where they have. Oh uh -oh. my God! Look at these aerial dogfights. Nemesis was the first Star Trek movie to actually have a a good to great version of that. I mean, the only time we as Star Trek fans saw something close was when Riker pulled off his maneuver against the Borg, and they separated the sections, and they, at the same time, they went in and got Picard back. You know, that's the only other time they uh, that, that Star Trek had it before this. Well, <clears throat> I would say uh, the opening dogfight uh, in uh, First Contact was pretty badass, too. I would say that. But it didn't last long enough. Uh, this is yeah, one... that's it. You know, yeah. no, you remember the scene, right? Yeah, yeah. Right before they go, we go back to Earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But let me just finish here. Listen. Other parts of this that I think make up for all of the bullshit we saw in the first two acts. And you guys can clown me if you like. Okay? I am Starfleet do or die, right? So when, when um, Riker and Picard meet in his ready room. And you know it's the last time these two are gonna be are gonna be together. Well, that we're gonna see them together. And they 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 banter a little bit, they chat a little bit. Picard steps up, steps from behind his desk, comes around, 
And uh, what does Picard say? He says, listen, if you get a first officer who won't allow you to go on away missions, tell him to go to hell or whatever. And, and Riker says, believe me, I will. I plan to. And then, then there's a pause. And Riker says, serving with you has been an honor. I choke up every time I see that. I choke up every time I see that. And the only thing I regret is that it should have, I wanted more of that. I, because these dudes have been through it for uh, seven years. I think it was seven years on the series. If we're, if we're looking real time. And what, 10 years on screen, I believe? Yeah, 10, 12, yeah. So that moment, uh, I, literally, that was one of, I hate to say it, but the dog fight, the smashing into the scimitar, the smashing of the view screen, and then you see after that battle, and you see these people saying, okay, we, we do or die. This is TNG. This is our swan song. We may have f***ed up the first two acts, but we are going to go out like G's on the end, uh, at the end here. And they succeed, and then to see Riker hold Picard in such esteem, and you know Riker's going to go on to some great things on the Titan. To me, all of that makes this movie worth watching. It makes it worth putting up with all of the crap. And it, it, it redeems itself. I mean, come on. And then and then for, for the true Trekkies out there, if you have the DVD or the Blu-ray and you look at those um, those uh, deleted scenes, it touches your heart. There's, there's a scene where uh, Riker tells the new first officer to Picard, and you look at this guy, and you're like, dude, I've been with Riker for seven years. You don't stand a chance. <laughs> and he says, you know, he tells the the, the first officer uh, in the scene, he says, you know, the captain, he, he prefers, um, he likes it when you're a little bit casual. You, so you can refer to him as Jean-Luc. And he does it, and Picard, look, he said, he, he, he calls uh, the captain Jean-Luc. Worf starts laughing. Uh, Jordy starts laughing, and Picard just turns around like, mother what? <laughs> and like, then I didn't know we were like that. What, what? <laughs> I didn't know we were like that. Oh, oh we're on a first name basis now. Oh, whoa, you got your own ship. Okay. Now, see, Picard, he people want to call him a bureaucrat and an administrator. I'm talking to you, Craig. I'm sorry, Craig. <laughs> but Picard could look at you and freeze you. Do you remember in the one episode, I can't remember the episode it was, I think it was the episode where Worf was being asked to donate his blood to a Romulan to save the Romulan's life, and he refused yeah. to, and um, Picard calls him into his ready room, and uh, he says he says something to Worf, I can't remember. Picard says, um, uh, do you respect me, or something like that, or I hope you've enjoyed serving under me. And Worf says, I have no reason to complain, Captain. And it was a nice moment, but Picard's like, oh, Mr. Worf, even if you had reason to complain, you would not. And Worf, who towers over Picard, is like, uh, yes, sir. So Picard was no joke. And when he looked at the first officer, he he froze that dude, okay? And then you see, now, you, then you have the scene where uh, Picard sits down. And the first officer says, uh, Captain, I think you'll enjoy this feature if you push that button there. He pushes the button, and these seatbelts come out. 
that's been an on, that's been an ongoing in joke with Trekkies for years. Now I think you saw seatbelts. Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you see seatbelts in Star Trek Three: Search for Spock right before mm. the captain. I don't know the act, the, the character's name, but James B. Sicking. He's in the the new the newly formed Excelsior, and they're they're going to test out the transwarp drive. They're going to they're going to go get Kirk to bring him back because he's going to go right. get Spock. And he says, "Let's prepare to engage transwarp drive." And I think you do see them put seatbelts on. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the dude that was Slugger McGavin and and, and Happy Gilmore. Okay, all right. And you also saw uh, the late great. Um, is it Miguel Ferrer? I believe he was in that scene. But anyway, yeah. um, but just to see seatbelts on what you know is the last film you're going to see with this cast. This is the last time you're going to see this cast. I really wanted more. They kind of ruined it with, uh, they kind of made it heartwarming with B4, where Picard is uh, sitting there. I hated B4. Well, listen, I didn't like him either, but I'm saying at that point, Jesus, my heart warmed up a little bit. I I softened because I realized I'm never going to see these guys again. And when he's sitting there talking to B4, trying to get him to remember that uh, no, to 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 know his ancestor, ancestors, his brother Data, as bullshit as before was, at that moment when Picard starts singing, "Blue Skies" with him, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna. Re- this is another. Pr- this is another franchise, but I'm gonna use the term. I released my hate, guys. Well, come on now, you, that that third well, act. Come on. Well, here it, that that's one of my problems with the third act. It was too many Picard goodbyes. You know, they could have just left it with the the Riker scene, touched on the the Jordy Data scene. You didn't need to put Riker uh, Riker. You didn't need to put Picard in that scene too. You know. Wait, uh, which scene? Which scene are you talking about? Well, well, you had the you had the day the, the well before with 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 Jordy and then before with Picard. Picard and then Picard with Riker. It felt like, honestly, it felt like they were searching for, and you guys will get this right away. They were searching for that poker moment. Okay. They were searching. They were searching for that that one moment, that iconic moment. Picard takes the poker cards out or the playing cards and starts sending around. And around the table, you have Worf, you have Riker. You have Jordy, you have uh, Crusher, and he just uh, takes a, a second there, pauses, looks at everybody, and just goes, "I should have done this much sooner." That. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Just that tone note there. If they just had the Riker scene, and you left the B four scene with Jordy, and you just left it like that, it'd be good. But then it felt. Well, not melancholy. It just felt like, oh well, now you're heaping it on. Okay. You know, well, that's the only problem with it. I can see you make a good point. I have to admit, you make a good point. Uh, it probably uh, listen that uh, the end of all good things. That's a textbook. How you you say goodbye to all the characters in one scene. I will give you that. Um, that's a good point. It may, maybe it would have been, <clears throat> would have been better to have Jordy and B four in their last scene. It did seem like they were searching for an ending because the last shot 
of any character is just Picard walking down the hallway. And then they cut to the dry dock, the space dock, I mean. But I would say, you're right. They did not have that button, that proper button to say goodbye to all of these people like they did at the end of the, the TV run. But up to that point, they were they were so close, and I bought every second of it. But I want to get back to, you guys didn't appreciate the, the the dog fight, the 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 visuals of the of the scimitar opening up, uh, how the crew comes together and smashing into the the ship. None of that resonated with you. Mm, not really. Damn. <laughs> I mean, the ship opening up, the getting ready to fire that that was. That wasn't spectacular to me. It was cool, as I said, it was cool to see the Enterprise crashing into the scimitar, but the reason that it happened, as I explained already, was the guy could have just put him put it in full reverse. Um, the uh, the Romulans didn't last very long. They got killed off pretty quickly. That was that was a pity, <laughs> you know. So so yeah, uh, shooting out the uh, shooting out the 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 viewer screen, or the the fact that there was some there was a window there. That's a little bit strange to have oh, a window there. That wasn't a yeah. window. I didn't see that as a what? window. Ready? I'm well, thinking... if it cracks open and it's all, all glass and you get sucked up into the cold vacuum of space, I call it a window, dude. Wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't see any. I got to go look at the scene again. I've seen this movie three times. I don't remember seeing any glass crack. I remember just it was exploded. And it could have been a bulkhead on the other side. And that's what sucked everyone up. It was just the blowing up of bulkhead that had the screen's monitor uh, components behind it. I didn't see any glass breaking. Well, hey, but on the explosion, you do see some glass. Well, ew, watch it again. But I, I get Craig's point there. It goes like, hey, we're getting ready to have fire phases and torpedoes and possibly ram this ship. I would have already had the protective thing down. And just go, okay, we'll we'll do computer imaging from inside. It's what, again, it's one of the things, uh, being military and being ner a nerd at the same time, I was a big Robotech freak. I love Robotech. Uh, it's the only sci-fi franchise as close to Star Trek in my heart that I could, I could say. And I could tell you every episode, I'm like... Well, why don't you just shoot that 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 little tower there in the battleship? Why? That takes out the whole command structure right there, the ship. Then they're easy prey. Every show, that's what that would be. I, I me sitting six year old, seven year old me, like just just take off that part where they are looking at the action. Well, here, hey, they did it to the Enterprise, and the Enterprise had the protective thing to come down. Not until like three, four, five people get sucked out into space, though. That's the problem. Oh, come, but how? I, so you're saying that the shield, the emergency shields, didn't go up fast enough? It didn't go up fast enough. It reacted, <coughs> but you, if you're going into a do or die battle situation, I think you would already have that shield down. Okay, well, so what about dramatic structure where you have to have some people die to show that there are consequences? Well, I did say we were all red shirts at that moment, so, you know. I mean, all right. What, what the hell? Hey, hey, today we are all going to die, but let's die well. You know, I think that's the Viking line. And and, 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 
And me being a brother, it's natural to go, what, what, what does he mean we're all going to die well? I don't want to die well. Wait, is, is there another option here? You know? Or, or uh, what, what was it? Was it Cisco? No, it was Finn and, 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 and um, Supergirl. I'm not the red shirt. I'm not the red shirt, you know? <laughs> well, okay. You got, man, this is a tough crowd. All right, what did you think of, because to me, the, 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 that whole scene is just building, building, building. And then you got to the part where Data sacrifices himself. He he launches himself into space. The music swells. He gets onto the scimitar, and then he does what he needs to do. Did that, how did that play with you guys? Hmm. For me, I think that was that was um, that was a touching moment where he sacrificed himself, for sure. That that was true drama and uh, sadness there. That Data killed himself to to save the ship. Uh, I, we're gonna journey into insane fan theory, but it, you follow me on this, right? All right. He does that right by the warp drive, and and it explodes, right? So my theory to always like try to redeem the movie was that that's where he turns into before. The explosion actually sends his parts back. Alright? Wait, wait, back in back in time, you say? Yeah. The, yeah when you when a when a warp drive explodes, it affects space and time. Now, it's not just an explosion, but it actually rips a hole. Remember, the traveler explained that once. Okay. So, I always had the insane theory to borrow from the San Francisco storyline in, in Next Generation that that explosion sent Data's head and, and his parts damaged back, aged them back, went back to where... The scimitar first found it to begin this cockamamie scheme, you know. So, so it would help tie that up. The problem is, the problem is, this is just my insane theory. If it was shown on screen, it would help that first act oh so much. Where you go, oh, this is this is their android. It looks weathered and old, but it's the perfect tool. To get the Enterprise and Picard right where we want them, you know. Wow. It, it, it would have been it would have been like thirty seconds. It would have been the time travel games, but it would it would have set things in motion, right? The pro again, like I said, my own insane theory. It was a it was a valiant death. It was a valiant like giving yourself up for the crew. He knew that that was it, but. Me, uh, as a comic nerd and stuff like that, I want the cont uh, continuity, and I thought that would have been a great twist. But just don't call me M. Night. <laughs> Listen, I got to tell you, it's a, it's, it's a sad day when you have to brilliantly add more convolution to a convoluted story to make it work. But that was that was pretty damn brilliant, but it was convoluted as hell. But it made, it made sense. <laughs> See, but but that's, what we, that's, that's where I don't understand. If the writer is a Trekkie, and we established that, and the director is not a Trekkie, wouldn't the writer have caught that 
You know, this is a pretty big damn loophole we're basing like 60% of this movie on. Right. We need something to the end to make that, to, to bring it back. To make that front, to have Trekkies go, oh, oh, that's how that happened. Or, oh, that's how this pulls it off. Like Mark always says, all right? And Mark, I give you credit for this. You want to see a movie and have everything not wrapped up, but at least, okay, I can see where the director was coming from with this. Mm -hmm. I can see what the writers were doing with this. That's the problem here. You never got that satisfaction for the before stuff you got it for the data stuff but you based like a big chunk on this movie on before and you never got the origin story very good point and and, and we're, we're um we're gonna start to uh, wind things down here but um i just want to ask everyone to me and we talked about this when we discussed uh, the motion picture star trek the motion picture it just it makes me wonder about the the process that the actors go through because, you know, Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, uh, uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, 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 Gates McFadden, all these all these actors, uh, 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 Michael Dorn, Lavar Burton, they have been playing these characters for I don't know how long at the point that this movie was produced, and. I'm gonna, let me ask Big Sexy first. Why do you think none of the actors stood up and said, hey, this is not the way it should be? I mean, do do actors not have any power on a set? when they? You know, I... Go ahead. I can't answer that, but I'm, I'm thinking the same thing you are. You've you got a group of people who've played these characters for years, who, especially, you know, Worf, who's played that character over two different series... He, ha he should have some idea of what he wants to do here. But to just give full deference to this new butt pirate director, maybe there was a fear of being left on the cutting room floor like they did with Wesley Crusher. I don't know. And I will say this. Uh, another tri uh, uh, trivia fact is originally uh, Jerry Ryan was supposed to ah. be in this movie. She was supposed to be at the wedding. And now here's the irony. It takes an actress who's not even a part of the TNG crew to step up to the director and say, that makes no sense because Seven of Nine does not know anyone on this crew. So why would she be at the wedding? Good point. So that's Jerry Ryan, you know, getting it in, okay? But, Craig, what do you think? I mean, why, why don't the actors ever step up and say, you know, we need, we need to redo this. I can't do this. This makes no sense. That is a strange thing, and maybe they did try. Maybe this got pushed back down. But I remember that the original series, when they started doing their movies, there were they were back. There were stories that you got on the extras on the DVDs and the Blu-ray where they spoke about how the actors did stand up and say maybe Kirk should be doing this, or maybe Spock doesn't do it this way, and maybe you don't press this button when something happens. You press this button. So they seem to get it right, but for I don't understand what happened here. Well, okay, we're going to do some final thoughts on this film, and I'm going to start off here. Um, as I have indicated, Act 1 and Act 2 of this film, absolute shit, utter garbage. It feels like they just have a lot of concepts that are laying around, and they picked them up and threw them against the dartboard and decided, okay, how do we get from here to 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 here? To here? 
and then they realized at the end, okay, we gotta have, we gotta do a a, a huge send off. And for me, that's why the title of this episode is "Stop the Hate," because if you want action, if you want some Starfleet kicking ass, you get that in the third act. Now, uh, hear me: the first two acts horrible, but you do have Patrick Stewart and you have Tom Hardy, who I think is—I I will go see a, a movie starring Tom Hardy just because Tom Hardy is in it for the most part. Killed it in Inception. Killed it in Revenant. Um, other films like that don't come to mind right now. Oh, uh, uh, um, the the uh, what was the um, Max Mad Max film? Even though he didn't have a lot to do, he still killed that role, and he I believe he was Mad Max. So Tom, you got Tom Hardy, you had Patrick Stewart mixing it up, you had the Romulans fighting alongside the Federation, even though they did not last very long. That was just such a. I mean, if you're a Trek fan, to see that. It's almost like when you saw the Klingons start to gel with the Federation in Star Trek VI. It's it, it, it it's an innate thing as a Trekkie where you say, that is cool. And just to hear her say, I'm going to lend assistance, can we lend assistance to you, Captain? And just all the action, all of the things that make Star Trek work for me is that it's do or die. Captain Picard, do or die. You want me to ram into that ship? We're ramming into that ship. We have you're telling us we're going to have to uh, sacrifice our lives. That's the biggest priority when we go to fight the scimitar. I'm down with it. Let's do this. And then you have the nostalgia. You have the heartwarming scenes at the end. I mean, I just don't see how we can have as much hate for this film. How we can't recognize that at least at that part they gave us what any Star Trek fan would want to see in any Star Trek film. So that's why I say stop the hate. Give the film its due where it delivers. Hate on all the other stuff, but give the film where it del- give the film its due where it delivers, and it does deliver. You compare this to Insurrection, no question, no question. That last act blows away anything Insurrection showed me. So we got to stop the hate, people. All right, Big Sexy, floor is yours. Uh, you do make a compelling argument because the third act does have some redemption there. See what I did there? Redemption. TNG humor. (laughs) One of my my favorite episodes. Two-parters. But the thing is, the director's hubris just outweighs everything because clearly he didn't know and he was so bold as to refuse to learn about these characters. You know, he got away with some action, which was great, but you still don't know who you're dealing with here, you know, and I'm not a Wesley Crusher fan, never have been, never will be, but to have him come on, shoot his scenes and then leave him out, just have him stand there, come on, man, that's that's weak, that's weak, you know, and again, I don't like the whole trope of before, God, I hate saying that, again, you know, I like, don't like how they slapped uh, Riker and Troy together. That was some bullshit. So let me get this right. At the at all good things, Troy and Worf starting to do a little something. Whatever happens to, happens or didn't happen because Worf goes off and gets married to Dax, comes back. Wait, wait, they got married on DS9? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know. I'm I'm in the process of watching DS9. I know they had an affair. I didn't know they got married. 
keep on following it. You know, I want to say season five. Okay. Season five, they become official, official. Worf, Worf got his groove on, man. Damn. Worf, Worf got a little something, something happening. Okay. And now all of a sudden, you know, Riker who and uh, Troy had been together eons ago. Now they're getting married out of nowhere? out of here. That was some bullshit. Okay, that was bullshit. Uh, all the Captain Picard singing? Really? That was bullshit. Okay. And it was just too much data these are, these are much final data. thoughts, dude. <laughs> You're picking it apart. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Okay, final thought. Movie was bullshit. Okay. It has some good stand-up qualities in it. It has some good you know, attempts at redemption near the end, but overall... Not oh. a good way for that cast to go out, man. Not at all. All right, Craig, what do you got for me? A seriously flawed movie that uh, we've already spoken about. You know, my feelings on it. Put the freaking ship in reverse. You know, get out of a situation quickly. The last scene wasn't so amazing for me. I'm glad they try to tie up all the storylines in Next Generation. But um, give me Star Trek Six any day. Undiscovered country. Okay. All right. And right. now I want to hear, I want to hear the last rites. Now, Daryl, you heard my impassioned plea. Yeah. And, All right. And your impassioned, your impassioned plea actually got to my cold, evil heart. And I could raise it up now to like seventh on the, the Star Trek list. It used to be like nine. All right. I only had the motion picture worse. But I could move it up to seven, because yes, hearing hearing your uh, yes, it's definitely better than Insurrection. Okay. Just go, uh, as we've been doing this, I've been going through both movies in my head, and yes, yes, it is definitely better than Insurrection. And uh, people are gonna hate me for saying this. People are gonna hate me for saying this, but I will say it was better than the Undiscovered Country. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I, I know, I know that 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 uh, undiscovered country is possibly next to the voyage home, the most debated. You either really love the undiscovered country or you really hated it. And I fell on the hate side for a long time. Wow. But I again for a future show when you guys bring that up, you know I'm, I'm game to come on and discuss it. But but I will say this: What saves Nemesis from being total crap is that bond that the next generation actors that we've all alluded to had. Okay, because there was less politics in this one, right? The action was there, but you know, it, it, it nobody goes to Star Trek for action per se. But the one thing next generation had better than any other iteration of Star Trek, that family bond. You could believe that these actors and the people they played actually loved and cared for one another. And it's something that lasts to this day. Because when they travel, they travel in packs. Mm -hmm. And when they travel together, it always, it always feels like that first time you stepped on the Enterprise. Well said. Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave it up to you. Um, you. You got it there. I think 
Craig and uh, Big Sexy are still giving Star Trek X a thumbs down. I'm giving it a lukewarm thumbs up. If you if you cut off the first two parts of the movie, it's a thumbs way up. And I'm thinking Daryl's giving it kind of like a thumbs up. So I think I kind of convinced at least half of this contingent, half of my crew, that Star Trek X deserves a second look. It, it, I tell you what, when you put it in your in your Blu-ray player, just fast forward to the chapter where Picard says, we're going to die. <laughs> Be prepared to die when we go fight the Scimitar. And from there on out, enjoy the film. Enjoy this. Have fun with the film. Except for the part where Picard kills, uh, kills Shinzon with some bullshit. <laughs> Pulling down that staff. <laughs> that was stupid. But, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for, for listening. Before we go, Daryl B., I can't tell you how great it was to have you on the show. I listen to you all the time. I love your insight. I love you. I love your voice, man. <clears throat> tell the listeners where they can find you. On, 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 well, Facebook, I'm easy. I'm just Daryl Benjamin. On, on Twitter, same thing. Daryl Benjamin is my handle. I'm, I'm open for any questions or any debates. And on uh, Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern, I'm with my, my, my cohorts, D-Bert, Captain Kirk, Claire Lene at AfroNerd Radio on Blog Talk Radio. You, you, we're easy to find, 6 p.m. Eastern, every Saturday. Yo, guys, it's been a pleasure, you know. I, I, I'll spend some time in this holodeck again. Just, <laughs> just, just send me that transmission and you know I'll be there. And if, if you're good, uh, we'll get some time uh, for you over on Risa. And we'll, ah. have, we'll have Quark set up a hollow suite for you. You know how he get down. So thank you again. And before we go, I just want to shout out a couple of listeners who they've been some diehard fans. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, uh, um, your comments. I want to shout out Stephen Bates. And I want to shout out Dallas. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Cassavant. Dallas is also a holdover, as you know, Big Sexy. Um, he, he holds it down for us on Podcast Juice as well. What's up, Dallas? Yo? There you Recognize go. his name, man. One of there, us. There you go. Uh, he, he moved over from uh, Podcast Juice to follow us to the Red Shirt. So unless there's anything else to be said, we're going to beam out. Any last words? Still sucked. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Craig, get the brig ready. <laughs> I can't stand insubordination. <laughs> Later, folks. Red Shirts is not endorsed by Paramount Pictures, Viacom, or CBS. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Star Trek, the Star Trek logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of Star Trek characters are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders.